In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. During a tourist bus excursion to explore a volcanic canyon in Iceland, one of the passengers went missing. The tour bus guide waited for an hour and then finally decided he should call the Icelandic authorities. He did, and they deployed an entire search team, and they even brought out a helicopter, and many on the tour bus willingly joined on foot, as did those in the surrounding community. And the search went on for 12 hours. Finally, it was called off, not because they had found the woman, but they had actually discovered she was with them the entire time. (laughs) Apparently, on the stop, she went in to freshen up, and she'd changed her clothes and got back on the bus. Nobody recognized her at that point. And even though the missing report sounded like her, she thought, surely it's not me. I'm not lost. I'm here. So she joined in in looking for this woman that fit her description. The Icelandic police didn't charge her with anything, but rather said it was an innocent mistake, and they were just happy that she was okay. Analogously, this morning, we have a familiar story in Zacchaeus, do we not? Zacchaeus, who for all intents and purposes, is on the bus. He's an Israelite, a son of Abraham, according to the law, entitled to all the things that any Jewish individual was entitled. And I've often wondered in looking at this passage over the years if Zacchaeus knew he was truly lost. We know that everyone else could tell you Zacchaeus was lost. In fact, it's quite evident as we go through. But sometimes when we're lost, we don't see it. Sometimes we can even deceive ourselves in our own actions and even justify the things we do, not realizing how lost we might truly be. So this morning, as we look at a familiar passage, we're reminded um, the reason for which Jesus came, to seek and save the lost, not just to the lost sheep of Israel, thanks be to God, but in fulfilling the law and doing that and the prophets, um, opening salvation to all. So as we reflect on a common theme that's at the heart of the Christian faith, might we look at this familiar passage and our response to it, perhaps with fresh eyes once more. So I'd invite you this morning to open back in your Bible, if you have it, to Luke 19, or follow along on the screens as we revisit this story of a wee little man, a wee little man was he, who (laughs) climbed up a sycamore tree to see what he could see. It's one we know well. As we open to it in Luke 19, we're reminded, of course, that Jesus is nearing Jerusalem. This, as Luke records it, has been going on since um, Luke chapter 9, as Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, and Jericho is not that far away. The, The destination is growing near. And like many of the little towns and villages along the way, Jesus is passing through, as we read in verse 1. And no doubt, the nearer Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the more the word of him is getting farther and farther ahead. And so those in town, uh, including Zacchaeus, want to see what Jesus is all about, what the rumors are about, the things they've heard, and the crowds begin to gather. We read, of course, that Zacchaeus, as we know, was a chief tax collector and rich, as verse 2 tells us. It's the only place we ever see that term, chief tax collector. 
We see tax collectors in Matthew and others. But in many ways, it gives us this idea that Zacchaeus is, is, at least in the eyes of his peers, the worst of the worst. Not only is he skimming off the top of the hard-earned money of others and lining his own pockets, he's even skimming off the skimmers and perhaps the worst pyramid scheme ever conceived in history as he's over other tax collectors. Wherever money is being made, there Zacchaeus is making a cut. And those in town, no doubt, with grief and frustration, watch as the attendants in his household grow, as his vestments get nicer, as his dinners get more lavished, and they can do nothing about it. And yet Jesus steps into town, and they know Jesus can set these things right. And so he does, as we know. But Jesus caring less about the restitution and more about the relationship does far more than that. But I get ahead of myself. So let's look back. Um, as we get into verse 3, this is an interesting point. Um, Zacchaeus, wanting to see who Jesus was, um, that's his goal. But on account of the crowd, can't, goes out ahead and finds this tree, as verse 4 tells us, um, as Jesus was about to pass that way. Small in stature, yes, physically, but even smaller in stature in the eyes and minds of those around him. The one way they can get back at Zacchaeus is not allow him to even see a thing. They could do that, and so they do. And Zacchaeus, not to be edged out, not to be excluded, gets ahead and looks to see what was going on, and he climbs this tree and waits for Jesus to pass by. Now, before we move on, let's dwell here for just a moment. It's interesting, isn't it? Like many of the stories up to this, progressing through Luke's gospel, many want to see Jesus. But um, in this case, Zacchaeus has no stated purpose in doing so. Not like the lepers a couple chapters prior who come specifically seeking healing, or those um, who are oppressed or possessed who want to find restoration. All we see at this point is Zacchaeus is curious, and he wants to see what Jesus is all about. So he ascends this tree to see just that. As we reflect on that, and we think on this theme of seeking and the saving the lost, I often wonder how much am I, how much are you like Zacchaeus? How often do we want to see Jesus from a safe distance? It's much safer to be, this is the safest place Zacchaeus is in the entire story. Far up and removed, Jesus at a distance, he can observe, he can watch what Jesus does, he can kind of interact from a safe place. There's nothing required of Zacchaeus at this point. And that's often the case with many of us at times. It's a safe place to be. God in his goodness, in his infinite love and his mercy towards us, even from afar, we can experience his love, we can touch points with his grace, we can even do things in his name, but, but, we can do it at a distance, and we can miss the very things to which he wants and longs for us to receive as we draw near. Sometimes we have to reflect upon where we are, um, and it may not be a, 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 a linear progression. Sometimes it can be a spiraled one, um, and, and we have to look at where we are in proximity. It's very safe to be at a distance, to come and go and to do those things, because what comes next requires quite a bit. If we turn back to verse 5, we discover this, of course. When Jesus came to that place, 
Much to Zacchaeus' shock and amazement, he doesn't just pass by. Zacchaeus gets way more than he's bargained for. Jesus stops, looks up at him, and actually addresses him by name. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So in verse 6, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They knew who he was. And in this moment, it seemed like everything was confirmed about how wrong the world was, even as Jesus shows up and befriends the very guy, the one guy that 2,000 years later, they never want to be known by name. We'd be, they'd be delighted if Zacchaeus' name was lost in history. Nobody wants to remember him, they'd think. And yet, here Jesus stops and responds. And Zacchaeus, not knowing what it would cost him at this point, for if he had, he may have never come down from that tree, responds to Jesus' request. Zacchaeus, come down, for I must stay at your house today. And he received him joyfully. There's in this moment a big move that makes the way up is the way down in the Christian life, as we know, the way of humility. And as Zacchaeus descends to be with Jesus, he goes and communes with Jesus. He has a meal with Jesus. Even in our own context, so much later in history, in a different point, in a different place, meals are still very communal activities, are they not? Um, we can't just stay on the social fringes and niceties. When we have a meal with someone, it moves us beyond that just by sheer time. And something transpires there, a deep communion. In our tradition, um, we, as you know, have communion every week. It's um, a meal, a spiritual meal that the Lord prepares for us. And we're reminded of this time and time again. We recall it. We call the past into present until such a time as it's fulfilled as Jesus is at that table with us at that banquet forevermore um, in that beatific vision. But as we reflect on that and as we think about those things, one thing I've always loved um, that, that helps me that we understand about these sorts of things, the grace of God, thanks be to God, does not require anything of you to make it happen. God's going to do that God's grace, as we see it in Scripture, through the sacraments, through baptism, that doesn't require that we have to do something. But if we do not have our hearts open to it, we won't ever receive the full benefits of what he wants for us. So the deep communion can be tangential. But for us to truly embrace the full grace that God wants and desires for us, it requires that we bring our whole hearts to receive that. And thus, um, this movement from just seeing Jesus to communing with Jesus is a deep and a profound one. And it's one that we're called to embrace each and every day. To commune with him as we wake up each day and offer our hearts and lives open to him and his plans even over and against our own schedules at times. It may mean um, finding times at the end of the day to reflect on where we have communed and where we have departed from communion with him. On Sundays for worship, whether you arrive here early or whether you wake up, preparing your heart to receive the full benefit of what you come into his presence to receive is a way in which we prepare ourselves. And certainly we feast on scripture as we spend time digging in in that way. One thing I've 
truly enjoyed uh, watching, learning, discovering in this new format. It's not a, it's not a book or a study. It's, it's really a format that the bishops champion in this Discovery Bible study does just that. One of the hardest parts that gets us as the old colic, you'll hear it in a couple weeks in Advent, uh, assists us toward and read, marking, and inwardly digesting God's Word um, is it actually requires that as you read through a story, we actually have to sit with it, and as part of this format, you have to retell it in your own words. Not, not the story of Zacchaeus, but whatever passage you're reading. If you can retell it, it means that you've internalized it, you're, you're chewing on it. It's much harder than you'd think, because it's a whole lot easier to talk around a text. It's a whole lot easier to talk about a text. It's a whole lot re- easier to read what others say about a text, or to talk about the issues of our time and port them into a text. It's a whole lot harder to just tell someone what the text says. Tell ourselves that. And as we do that, it internalizes it. We, we begin to digest and commune with Jesus there. And from that, we begin to see what it might require of us. And it always requires something of us. In fact, if we truly commune with Jesus in prayer and study and scripture in the reception of his sacraments, in those things, we will not, we cannot leave changed. In fact, that's the end of our story, is it not? As we turn back to verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, if, it should be when I defrauded anybody of anything, right? I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We have no idea of the passage of time, do we, between verse 7 and verse 8. Jesus calls Zacchaeus down. All we see is the effect of the time of communion with Jesus, the effect that it had on Zacchaeus. Maybe it was ours. Maybe this reflection came the next morning. We don't really know the passage of time, but we see the effect of what such deep abiding communion with Jesus produces. Jesus doesn't command Zacchaeus to do something. Jesus doesn't coerce Zacchaeus to do something. Rather, this is a self-assigned correction that Zacchaeus makes after communing with Jesus. And as an aside, any repentance is not just a stopping of action, but a restitution, a restoring of what has been wronged to others. And Zacchaeus does that, but he goes beyond that, doesn't he? He could have just said, okay, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll, I'll, I'll make it up. But he says, I'll do that fourfold, and I'll give away half that I have to the poor, um, going way beyond what the law ever expected. Um, the, the point that we're to see in Zacchaeus is that he's discovered in this short period, as Jesus is just passing through town, in this meal that he's had, such deep abiding communion with Jesus that he cannot help but respond. Everything else he's had and amassed in his life pales in comparison. Nothing matters at this point. Whatever he's been chasing, either small statue to big ego or whatever it was, he doesn't have the Napoleon complex or whatever the case may be anymore. He's ready to lay all that down because he's found what he never probably could quite put his finger on, no matter how much he amassed, no matter how many people he pushed away or tried to buy off or whatever the case may be. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So as we reflect on that, we reflect that therein is really the call of the Christian life, is it not? Communing with Jesus then should lead us to transformation, 
transformation not just by Jesus, but into the very likeness of Jesus, to be as Jesus is, to do the things Jesus taught and commanded, to, to want the things that he wants. That means that we do the things that in our own human nature um, we cannot do in and of ourselves to seek justice, to love mercy, to extend forgiveness when we have no reason to do so, to find ways to see the material realm that we're a part of as merely just a tool towards the end of living this life, and then the rest is the Lord's anyways because he's given it and it will be taken away one day. To lead life differently. Thus, as we commune with Jesus in our lives, in prayer, in study of Scripture, in times in his presence, um, it should lead us to these moments. That's what um, I've loved, I think, is that the brilliance of this, this study. Again, if you've not joined a group, I'd encourage you to do so. Um, at the end of every group, um, everyone is called to make a self-assigned I will statement. What a neat thing. To say, I'm going to do something this week. And the next week, um, how'd you do? Did you do it? Not for the purposes of shame and guilt, but rather towards the end that we might do just that. It's very easy to say, I know what the application is here. Um, it's much easier to do that um, in word, but not in deed, and to actually put pen to paper to say um, it could be as big as Zacchaeus's uh, revelation, or it could just be as big as every day this week, I'm going to spend two minutes praying that I might have a heart to want to be like Zacchaeus in that regard. Whatever that application is, that it moves us nearer to the presence of Jesus and transforms us more into his likeness. Because after all, that's the very purpose of the church, is it not? That as we enter into his presence, as we move, if you want to look at it in a linear way, from this progression of just seeing Jesus to communing with Jesus and being transformed by Jesus, it's not just about me, myself, and I, but rather that as we go forth in God's infinite wisdom and to my infinite puzzlement, um, he allows us to be the way in which Jesus is seen out in the world to all of those who have yet to see him. That's the call of the church. That's her mission. That as we go from grace and grow from grace to grace, failing forward, as I often do in my life, um, time and time again, and we discover lessons, um, and we move and grow in different ways, um, that we become the very image, the reflection of Jesus out in the world, so that others might see that and say, oh, well, it's not about all their events on the lawn or their peculiar vestments or, or their peculiar forms of worship, but rather it's they're a peculiar people. We're not called to be like the world. We're called to be different from the world in such a way that they go, why? Why in the world are they not in this rat race like everybody else? Why do they have this insatiable joy in the face of pain and hardship? Why are they willing to make sacrifices for people they don't even know? Why? Because of Jesus. And as people see that, it should lead them at least from afar to go, I kind of think I might want something like that. And then we're prepared through internalizing of these stories to have those conversations with them and to put ourselves in the midst of them and to share about our fumblings and failings and by God's grace's goodness towards us in spite of ourselves to grow toward that end. That's the role of the church. And I'd argue that that's more than anything what the world needs right now. Doesn't need more events, doesn't need more things, doesn't need community or this or that. What they need is Jesus. And the only way Jesus is seen is in you and in me. 
So today, as we reflect on this, as we begin to near the end of this season, this long season um, of this season after Pentecost, which is symbolized by growth, might we continue, by God's grace, to grow more in the likeness of Jesus? Might we continue to find the ways that we stand at afar from Jesus that we might be willing to come down in that aspect of our lives and tread to commune with him, to allow him to transform us? And then might we be emboldened to reflect him out in the world? That is our call. God will never fail us in that. And yet the choice, for some reason, is always ours, even though it doesn't have to be. And so might we embrace that call today? Might we grow further? And might we reflect Jesus' words and Jesus' heart for the world that he came to seek and save the lost, not just we little men who climb sycamore trees, but for each and every one who stands apart from God to see that they are not alienated, but that God loves them and wants to transform them and all of us into his likeness and image through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.